Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. I could use your support in the upcoming election. Oh, yeah, right. You got fame, money, power, and looks. What you need, I ain't got. I need your vote. I need a man. But you don't see me going around bars begging for one. <laughs> I give. I know when I'm overmatched. I'm just glad I'm not running against you. You want to go where everybody knows your name. Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and joining me for the first installment of the three-part season four finale, my fellow Fire and Water Network all-star, the host of Gimme That Star Trek, Who's Editing, Oh Hot Moo or Not, and others, please welcome Siskoid to the show. How's it going, buddy? It's going pretty well, and I, I love how it's where everybody knows your name, but I'm using a pseudonym. <laughs> We'll keep, keep it quiet, you know. It's, well, there's um, a show where everybody calls me Mike, so I think the the cat's out of the, the bag. That's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. Um, and it is it is good to have you back on this episode. I I I knew in advance that I had to get you on this special season finale episode for a reason that will be made apparent to the listeners in just a couple seconds. Uh, so let's dive into it. Season four, episode twenty four, Strange Bedfellows, part one. This episode is written by David Angel, directed by Jim Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, May 1st, 1986. Local city councilwoman Janet Eldridge, played by guest star Kate Mulgrew, is running for re-election and stops by Cheers to press the flesh. Diane is opposed to Janet politically, but Sam is attracted to her upon their first meeting, and it seems to be mutual. As Sam and Janet flirt openly, a jealous Diane decides to campaign for Janet's political opponent, James Fleener. Sam and Janet begin dating. She takes him to public events and high-class dinners at the governor's mansion. Diane, convinced that Janet is only using Sam's local celebrity to help herself get re-elected, tries to forge an alliance with Carla, since the one thing they have in common is wanting to protect Sam. Carla believes Sam is just fooling around and won't get hurt because he doesn't take Janet any more seriously than the next woman. But when she makes a joke about Janet, Sam doesn't find it funny. When Janet stops by the bar and uses Sam's office to make a phone call, Diane confronts her, believing that Janet's plan is to use Sam until the election and then break up with him. Janet admits that that is the reason she started seeing Sam, but the longer she's dated him, the more she's come to actually love him. Diane calls her bluff, but on election night, Janet makes her serious feelings for Sam known to the public, and it is Diane left feeling hurt. Okay, so, obvious elephant in the room, uh, this episode stars Kate Mulgrew, uh, which is the reason I wanted Siskoid to be part of the show, because, as everyone knows, Kate Mulgrew is one of the stars of the show Orange is the New Black. And Siskoid does the show Ohatmu or Not, which I assume is like being part of a woman's prison. <laughs> uh, yes. Also, she played Captain Janeway in two Star Trek shows, Star Trek Voyager and now Star Trek Prodigy on Nickelodeon. So oh, that may be, that may be the other connection. Oh, I should have thought of that. That actually makes more sense. <laughs> the Star Trek connection. Why didn't I make that? Yeah. Um, big picture overall thoughts. What did you think about this episode? The first of a three-parter. So it kind of, we're going to try and judge just this one and not the totality of the finale, but just this part. What did you think? 
Yeah, I, I watched the next one over, but not the third part. I'm sort of keeping a little something in reserve. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just this one from the 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 pretty long synopsis that you you gave. I mean that this was that was a longer synopsis than usual. I feel. I went I went into detail and pretty much covered everything because there's not really a B plot or anything in this. Well, th- there sort of is, or the B and C plots or elements. I I, I don't think they they go anywhere. Is the thing so. For me, it was a bit of a mess where they they probably had just a little too much for a two-parter, but not enough for a three-parter. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's some, some scenes in this one that are padding or try to set up something that doesn't pay off at all within the episode, at least. So uh, I felt that it was a bit of a mess in that sense. But the, the storyline that you really described very well, that storyline... I was invested in, and I think that, like, I think I'm more interested in the soap opera element of this finale than I am the humor, which mm-hmm. I felt was was pretty middling for the uh, show. Yeah, uh, I, I do too, um, and I think a lot of it, it just, uh, first of all, like the, the casting and the the writing in particular of Janet and the the instant like throwing everything up on its heels by being a a viable love interest for Sam that go that is, for one thing, not a carbon copy of Diane, but obviously also not one of his usual, you know, one one night stand type of girls that Carla thinks that he belongs with, you know, just like the you know supermodels, you know, like loose women, the girls that he picks up anyway. She is a capable, formidable, professional woman, smarter than him, capable of challenging him professionally, personally, mentally, socially, but she's not this very erudite and academic, you know, like lost in the clouds, you know, elitist type of person the way Diane is. So a very different type of character, and I just think the way she's introduced is a great injection for this for this finale in the setup, because I think in season three, Frasier was a great foil for Sam in terms of being the love interest for Diane because he wasn't he wasn't like Sam he was more like Diane but but like all like more even more likable than Diane in some ways and more likable than a guy like Sumner her previous boyfriend and and you really grew to like him and you could see why Diane and Frasier should have been together by all rights except she loved Sam more just inexplicably and here we see that Sam and Janet, like, this could be a really interesting power couple. And and they could maybe go the distance if it was a mutual attraction and mutual love. But will that be the case if, again, inexplicably, he's still hung up with Diane? Yeah, I think that um, the Janet character, there are a lot of similarities between her and Diane. I mean, superficially, at least. Like, Sam has two types. He has, like, the, the front what he fronts as his type, which might be, I don't know, these, these sex spots out mm-hmm. there, you know, uh, dumb sex spots or whatever, bimbos. or mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what Carla seems to think is, you know, is the legitimate right. attraction for Sam. But in reality, uh, and a lot of these so-called bimbos when they show up are kind of Diane types. You know, not, not particularly buxom or, or curvy or whatever. You know, he, he likes these, uh, the, these slight figures. Uh, so Kate Mulgrew has that figure as well. Like, like they could they could share a closet, uh, her <laughs> and Diane. It, you know, uh, and, but she's also a, more sophisticated than those bimbos, which is something that Diane also has. 
I, I'd say that Janet is is Diane if Diane had actual ambition. <laughs> yeah. You know. So <laughs> that that's kind of what she comes up and, and at the same time she's um she has a, a sense of humor and you know she like she she feels like she belongs in this cast where people are laughing at each other's jokes so the very naturalistic comedy that comes out of that. Right. So um uh I, I think that Sam has that has that type you know within his uh you know that that's part of of his what what he's attracted to. Now the next episode will have Sam relate why he likes or loves Janet. So I won't get into it, but I feel like that really reveals why they would be a match, a better mm. match than the Sam and Diane combo. Right. Uh, it's not told here, but we see it from Janet's perspective, uh, and they have that. Dis- she has that discussion with Diane, and it's like she's a little bit like Diane, where this this relationship shouldn't really work, but it does. You know, there's an attraction there that I can't explain. Mm-hmm. And I think Diane had felt the same way right. when it was her turn. Right. And in one sense, at least for now, and this might change later on, it seems like Janet's a little bit more accepting of Sam for who he is, perhaps because it can benefit her to be the type of blue-collar, local, you know, sports jock type of personality that is a boon for her campaign at first. So it doesn't seem like she wants to change him. Whereas Diane was constantly trying to change him. She loved him physically, and they had great chemistry, but she never wanted him to be who he is. Um, She had an idea of what kind of man she should be with, Mm -hmm. and Sam wasn't it. Right. So, she, and she, so she's trying to f- make him fit that right. mold. Right. We we yeah. saw the kind of man that she wanted in the episode earlier this season, Diane's Nightmare, when she wants Sam in a smoking jacket composing operas. <laughs> like, right. right. She wants Sam, but sophisticated. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it probably plays better to to uh, Janet's conservative audience uh, because she's she's said to be a, the the conservative candidate in this yep. election. Yeah. Uh, so it probably plays well to that voter base that mm. you know. Uh, a sports guy, uh, maybe the male voters are attracted that to that image, and mm-hmm. that allows them to vote for a woman with maybe they they might not otherwise. Although she's an incumbent, so whatever she's been doing, it's been successful before. Going through the the teaser for this episode, um, Woody is arm wrestling a guy, a patron uh, played by Mike Haggerty. This is one of those actors who you've seen in tons of stuff. He was in a lot of TV shows and like guest parts in the eighties and nineties. I don't know if he ever had like a long recurring bit. Um, uh, he was in the movie Wayne's World. Uh, he was in uh, in Seinfeld. He played Rudy, the guy who ran the, the pawn shop, who was buying raincoats from Kramer and Jerry's dad. Yeah, I don't know if they, like anything else, but like, yeah, one of those guys who you recognize him when you see him. Uh, and anyway, they're, they're arm wrestling and the guy beats Woody and he's like, all right, I owe you a beer. And the guy's like, nah, get me next time. And apparently this happens all the time. So Carlos says, if, you know, he comes back again, challenges the guy to Italian arm wrestling. And as she demonstrates it, it's a practical joke where he holds his arm out, he makes a fist, and she pulls back, and he has to resist with all of his strength so that when she lets him go, very much Lucy and Peanuts style, he just punches himself right in the face. Of course, Woody being Woody, he doesn't get that the joke is on him and thinks he won the test of strength, and he beat Carla despite the fact that he's not even Italian, which he says. (laughs) It's the second time they've done arm wrestling 
in the back half of that this season uh, because there's also an arm wrestling uh, bit with um, in Fear is My Co-Pilot. Yeah, oh, you're right, yes, yeah. Where, you know, where they arm wrestle the... Uh, uh, Diane's <laughs> European lover, Jack, uh, Jack or Bell, adventurous yeah. lover. He's not European, but right. the um, it's interesting because that that really is the episode that haunts the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. You know the that because that's a moment where uh, Sam and Diane admit things to one another that then they have to repress or say. Oh, um, so that's really everything is in the shadow of that, right? Uh, especially through this. Finale. Yeah. yeah, the last stretch of episodes, it's all like, okay, they just, they admitted, like, in the face of death, they admitted that they love each other and they would have, got, like, gotten married had things gone differently. And now, like, once they're safe, it's like, okay, how do you proceed from there? And the plan is just ignore it, pretend it didn't happen. Um, yeah. So the arm wrestling reminds you of that, in a way, mm-hmm. because it's part of that that previous episode. Mm-hmm. But uh, But otherwise, it's, you know, just a little... It's just a small bit that doesn't really relate to anything. Yeah. Uh, Then when we come in, and this is probably one of those little side plot things that you said didn't really go anywhere, we get Frasier bitterly kind of venting about Diane for the 130th time, maybe, um, saying that this is the one-year anniversary from the day she left him at the altar. So I guess in... In the world of Cheers, it's basically operating in real time, <laughs> like f- picking up almost from the last season finale. But then it, it just that never amounts to anything. It's, it's like I felt like he was then going to be antagonistic towards her. He was going to get some sort of final revenge on her or at mm-hmm. least try. But instead, he gets wrapped up in this. It's almost like when he joins the, the, the Democrats campaign with Diane, that that's going to lead to something. Yeah, but – no. It doesn't. So yeah. I feel like that's really clunky. This whole, yeah, yeah. For him to start off so antagonistic, and then like as soon as she needs somebody to help her, he leaps at it because she's like, she, when, when Janet is campaigning, she's like, I, I, I love, I love the setup. She's like, watching that woman work the room has forced me, has inspired me to make to make a decision. And Sam is like, well, you're going to work the room too. Uh, but she's like, I am going to campaign for James Fleener, the the opponent. It's like, who's with me? And he and Fraser comes in. He's like, I'll do it. James Fleener is, you know, he, he rattles off like his superlatives, like the finest man, you know, etc. And then as soon as Diane's out of earshot, he's like, who the hell is James Fleener? Yeah. Um, I, I, what it feels like is that that first moment, the anniversary bit, should have been or could have been or might have been at some point the teaser. Because if if that if it's just a teaser, then the joke is I'm railing against Diane, and then the barflies say you know what's up, and then he says it's the anniversary, and so I'm gonna, and then they go happy anniversary, yeah, punch yeah. punchline credits music, uh, and then you don't have to think about it for the rest. The joke was whatever that the the, the barflies think it's a bit of nonsense that he does that or something, right? But but that it sort of flows through the episode normally. You feel like that's a setup for something, uh, and I haven't seen the third episode, but but by then we're way past the anniversaries. So it has to happen that day. So if it's in the teaser, that day could be isolated, but then no, it's part of the day where Janet comes to the bar. So right. for me, that that really doesn't work. That's the moment that I feel is superfluous. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if it was just Kelsey Grammer was under contract. They needed to do. They needed him to do something, and they they had to give him some work for this episode. 
But uh, so okay, so moving on then. Um, see, uh, uh, a hot woman walks by, and Cliff sees her, and he says, "I wouldn't kick her out of the bed for eating crackers." Norm jokes, "Why else would she be there?" Cliff has said that line before on this show. He has used that line before, like wouldn't ki- like an attractive woman. He's like, "I wouldn't kick her out of the bed for eating crackers." I don't know if that's a John Ratzenberger thing, like he like saying that, or if that was like the writers. Something because like, it's it's an expression because I've used I've used it I've heard it a lot. Um, people say that all the time here. I think the only times I've ever heard it are are when Cliff says it twice in the show. I think that's the only time I've ever heard it. Okay, no, I've heard it. Okay, but and I, I don't know. I don't know if people have, have taken it from Cheers. <laughs> it's mm. possible, but um, you know, even in the French culture here, people say that. Hmm, um, so maybe it, it predates the show. Well, maybe her uh, regional New England thing. I, I have no idea. I don't know. But yeah. Anyway, yeah. I just thought I'd, I'd never heard the expression except Cliff says it twice. So interesting. Uh, this leads to this whole bit about Norman Cliff spending too much time together, and they can't even finish, or they they do finish each other's sentences for anecdotes and jokes. That again was something that doesn't really go anywhere. Norman Cliff have a different subplot for the next two chapters that's not really related to anything in here. No, it's so. just like the Seinfeld finale. Yeah. <laughs> Inspiration for the Seinfeld finale. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Call Ashford. <laughs> anyway, then Sam and Diane come in uh, relatively at the same time from two separate dates um, and immediately get competitive about which date was better, who had more fun, who ate better, like Diane's boyfriend, is, or Diane's date is like, yeah, we just had like a burger and a movie or something like that, and, but Diane is like, but the, the ground beef was really, really lean, like, of course, she's going to talk about how good the burger was, um, and then that leads to like, who has a better car, which gets better gas mileage on the highway in the city, uh, and culminated because they have to keep raising the stakes into who gets the better goodnight kiss, so... Yeah, and it's interesting that moment because the, it, it's, I mean the dates are kind of mirror images of the other person. Physically, you know, so yeah, get, yeah, okay. yeah. Physically, uh, not mentally, but physically, that guy is kind of a Sam Malone type, and that girl, April, is mm-hmm. uh, kind of a um, uh, Diane type. So yep. again, Sam going for that physical type. Was he always in to those? into that physical type or is it the thing where you're in love with a girl and then other girls that look like her become more interesting as a result i mean that's a good question i mean diane is beautiful shelly long is uh, is gorgeous and she's attractive and uh, but i mean she dresses so conservatively almost almost out of time like out of date it's like she doesn't belong there that yeah. it it sort of downplays some of the like more flashier, flamboyant, attractive qualities, and also, I mean, like, I I still think of like the eighties. You know, the distinction between the nineties, like when I was a little bit older, growing up in the nineties, the the type of women that Sam would be going for were more of like the Baywatch lifeguard types, like women much chestier, more kind of voluptuous, kind of built out and defined. And I think of. People in the—I I don't know—I I think like I'm, I'm going to basically say I, I feel like breast implants haven't become so normalized at this point in the show that there's and just it, like a different standard—a different standard of beauty. But yeah, it's also a matter of 
what actors are out there working on in television. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. And especially and should, especially those doing just bit parts where they they might get two lines of dialogue. Right. Like we're analyzing Sam's types, but really it's like who was <laughs> who was an under contract and who was available to do a, a, a bit part and um so uh, what were the tastes of the casting? Right. People. So right. it's not necessarily Sam's choices, but then we look at it from from the future, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we, we yeah. try to ascribe something to a character. Right. Uh, then we get probably the two best-known uh, guest stars coming in, uh, Janet, who we've talked about, and then her campaign manager, played by David Paymer, who was just one of those guys who's in everything. I, I love this guy. Um, yeah. Like uh, he, uh, he does, he is often in like either political movies or like, like the American president type of thing. I liked him in yeah. that or in a uh, state in Maine where he kind of like plays like a, a shit, like Great a Hollywood, film. you know, executive type of guy. Yeah. And uh, I mean, for, for me, I will always remember him as the second banana in um, Mr. Saturday night. Cause that was yeah. on TV all the time. As yep. Billy Crystal's yep. uh, partner, um, and there's another Billy Crystal connection because we've mentioned Kit Mulgrew. Uh, she was a year away from Throw Mama from the Train. Oh, that's and, right. Yes, and that's a Danny DeVito film, right. uh, married to Rhea Perlman, and Billy Crystal's in it. Billy so. Crystal's in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot she was his wife, and she was. Oh, I yeah. forgot she was in Throw Mama from the Train. I love that movie. Yeah, she was the ex-wife. Yep, the ex-wife. You know, Billy Crystal's ex-wife, yeah. Yeah, who falls off the, the ship or anything. But it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I need to go watch that now. So, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll finish this podcast later. Anyway, so we're, back. Go, <laughs> we're, we're back. We're <laughs> back. Hope you enjoyed that pause. Um, Janet comes in. She starts asking everybody. For, she's campaigning and everything. She asks Carla for her support. Carla is offended, really, that someone with what is, she says, fame, money, looks, and power is asking for her help. And he's like, what, what you need I don't have. And Janet's like, I need your vote. Carla goes, I need a man, but you don't see me going to bars begging for one. So I like that. And, and Janet has like the, the sort of political savvy and like the touch with the people. She's like, hey, I give, I, I'm just glad I'm not campaigning against you. So, you know, and it, it, it gets the appropriate response from the crowd and from the reporters. So obviously she is really skilled at sort of politicking and, and knowing the room that she's in. So. Yeah, even though she's supposed to be the the sort of, you know, like the, the way that Diane paints her is just like she doesn't interact with the her constituents. Uh, except during the elections, you know, basically we're all going to be forgotten for business interests. Right. She's just only interested in lining the pockets of like big money donors and special interests. But right. But she has that personal touch with people anyway. So she, mm-hmm. it's it feels like maybe Diane isn't isn't painting the the correct portrait uh, in in perhaps in a way. Right. And I like how Kate Mulgrew in this. It's the same. Really, it's the same skills that she brought to Captain Janeway. Uh, where she's supposed to play like that battle axe, yeah, uh, willful, you know, woman character uh, showing leadership, but also show that warmth uh, in you know in Star Trek. She's supposed to kind of be the the mother on the ship or something. You know, mm-hmm. she has to have that caring side, but also be really cutthroat at mm-hmm. the same time. So I, I think this character is a, is softer than Janeway. But still, that's those are the qualities. I, I I've never seen a, an episode or even a frame of Mrs. Columbo, uh, a show that she did in the late seventies. Because I'm really interested. I, I mean, I'd be really interested to see how they do a female Columbo show. 
I, I know it didn't really work out or whatever, but I wonder if those qualities are also present in that character. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've never seen it either. Um, and I'm just thinking about like the moment when she actually meets Sam and you know, like her, her manager is going to make the introductions. She's like, you don't have to tell me. Everybody knows who Mayday Malone is. And she talks about how much of a fan she was. And it's kind of like, all right, she's a good politician. She was probably, she knew, like they, they, they knew where she was going. Was she briefed on this guy in the limo, in the car before they got there? Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm expecting that she basically had this on note cards before she walked in. Yeah. I think the attraction, uh, whether, whether there is a political element, you know, she, she admits to that later, but the attraction seems real. I, I, I like that, that moment where she's looking, you know, she's talking to other people, but she's looking at Sam. Yeah. Uh, where you just can't get your, take your eyes off someone. Yeah. It's um, a nice bit of that directing. Was, that was yeah. well played. Yeah. yeah. Nice directing and editing, the, the cutaways. And the, the gang knows it too, because like, uh, uh, Norman Cliff, they're both like, yeah, yeah, she does seem to be, she seems to be, um, uh, interested in you or something like that. And, uh, Cliff has a line. It's like, she's a good woman. She deserves it. Like, she deserves to be <laughs> with Sam. It's like, all right, calm down. That's a weird one, but. But they are, they're always thinking like this, that it's like he's God's gift to women. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, it's it's only sad that that it's two guys thinking this. Right, right. Um, speaking of Cliff, he gets a he gets a good moment when Janet starts taking questions from the press, and he steps up. Cliff asks a question on behalf of the postal workers, and he asks her if she supports lifetime imprisonment for canine offenders. I'm I'm wondering if he's actually talking about the dogs that may bite a mailman or the dog owners or something like that. And she's like, "Well, let's call." And she's like, "Calm down." She's like, "I, without going that far, I will. I do think that the post office workers are overworked, and I'll do everything that I can to help them out." And that's the right answer for Cliff. And he's like, "I support her, and I will deliver you the postal vote." And Carla's got a great rejoinder from there. She's like, "Too bad it'll be the wrong address." Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, that's a federal thing, is that though? <laughs> the city council woman would wouldn't have any anything to contribute the postal workers, would she? Probably not. I, <laughs> I mean, to the degree of so it's yeah. it's Cliff being foolish, right? Right. In other words, <laughs> so um, Sam flirts with her openly, you know, asking if she's ever had if she likes Chinese food and if she's ever had it in the bathtub. Um, and she uh, she's very she gives it gives it back to him. She's like, no, no comment on the la- on the second one. And he asks her if she'll what she's doing for Thursday, and she's like, you know, the campaign keeps me too busy, um, so that you know I I have to turn I have to shoot you down, and the the crowd is gone. She's like, look what I will look what I'm willing to sacrifice for the campaign, you know, still politicking and everything. And then as soon as she leaves, uh, Phil Schumacher, her campaign manager, David Paymer, comes back and he's like, here's her private number. She wants you to call her. So, yeah, pretty cool. Um, and, and the guys, you know, start going, you know, they're chanting their Sammy, Sammy type of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he got her number. He hey. did. He did. Oh. Um, we come back after the commercial. Uh, Norm says he took Vera to Hurley's market like for groceries as well as dinner. Um, he's got a good pit. He's like, by the way, if anybody wants to know, he's like, they were giving out their free samples of a sausage or something. And he's like, if anybody wants to know, a dozen seems to be the cutoff number. So. <laughs> Um, 
Sam comes out. He's in his tuxedo, and like Carla has been telling Diane, trying to get under her skin about all the great dates that Sam and, and Janet had been going on, and all the places that she's taken him. I found it interesting that Sam come out like wearing his tuxedo, and just he actually asks Diane. He's seeking her counsel on how to do how to play the part of a sophisticated date, you know, without without embarrassing himself or her. Uh, and I thought it was kind of interesting that he trusted her enough to to do that without thinking that it would be hurting her yeah as he as he had humiliated her before mm-hmm. in such circumstances you know <laughs> he mentioned the, the 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 lemon the lemon soup <laughs> that, incident. that was only, that was one of my highlights too that i was gonna, gonna she's like remember the little wa- bowl of water with a lemon what she's like i know i know it's a finger bowl it's not lemon soup and the audience laughs at that one and then he, he comes back he's like you know nobody would have known that time if you hadn't screamed <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that really will relate. Like when you do the second part, yeah, yeah. the the idea that he is feels more accepted with Janet than he did with uh, Diane. Mm-hmm. Um, it, th- that's an, I think that's an incident where you know, he couldn't be himself. There's another bit of like nice little directing or blocking in that scene when Diana's talking to him. Uh, Sam checks his reflection in the mirror just to kind of look at how he is, which you normally do, and it's a good thing that it gives the actor something to do. But uh, Ted Danson, he actually adjusts one of the lights right. lining I, the, the top of the bar. Yeah, I had that in my notes as well because it's like it made me realize that a lot of the lighting in Cheers is – uh, practical. Yeah, it, it, I mean it's part of the set. Yeah, and we don't really think of that, but he, there he is. He's playing with the lights and and yeah. probably some. Uh, there, the, the union got pissed probably at that. But <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, he has to like. If I know my television unions, um, <laughs> and I do. Well, no, I did. I, I worked. Yeah. You know, I worked for the French CBC, so yeah. <laughs> there there was there were problems like that. So if you touch the lighting, um, you know, you got a. You got a writ. So. <laughs> yeah, and he had to do it twice because he had to, do, to adjust it the one time to look at him, and then to adjust it. Maybe, maybe they unplugged that one, and that were, there was like a special something else in there. One, but and there's another light hitting him. You yeah. know, like an actual light man doing it. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I just thought that was a cool little touch. Um, uh, oh, another reason I, I kind of thought of you, and I don't know why this is, but when uh, Frazier comes in with all the campaign slogans for Jim Fleener, that Diane came up with whim with Jim, Awful. and she goes, she goes, "I thought it up. It's very Joycean." And I was like, like, of course, Jay, yeah, of course. I was like, Cisco might appreciate a James Joyce reference. I, I, know, I but, did, I did, yeah. and, uh, and Carla goes, uh, "If that means stupid, then you're right." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, yeah, because there is an alchemical process to the James Joyce's writing. He's sort of the Irish table, yeah. did the, kind of the same with poetry in France a yep. uh, hundred years earlier. So, yeah, I got that, but it's still. I mean, that is such a that's a, such a terrible slogan. <laughs> It's so awful. And this is where we find out, just looking at a little picture, that um, uh, Jim here is is played by Max Wright. Who, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he'd just come off, you know, uh, Misfits of Science had right. just uh, not worked. But that year, that year, uh, that season, the, that's when Misfits of Science was on uh, NBC, I guess. And uh, he would go on to do ALF the very next season. Yeah, yeah. And that... <laughs> 
so Alf is one of those things that I know I watched it. I think I watched it for several years, and I don't remember anything about it. Like I think, <laughs> like I I remember I remember Max Wright's character and and Alf. I don't know who the rest of the family was, like how many kids there were or something. I I think there's a bit where Alf tries to eat the cat in every episode. I think that was yeah, a running yeah. gag, but that's like all it is. And for some reason. I always confuse Max Wright with John Lithgow because I think of Alf as having the same premise as Harry and the Hendersons. And okay, then, I thought you were going to say uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Well, that, well, that was the other thing because then John Lithgow was also in Third Rock from the Sun where he played an alien and that's the Alf connection. So although all those things swirling together, I always confuse John Lithgow and, and Max Wright together. Okay. Well, it lasted like four years. And I, I, th- I watched it for at least one and I just – I don't – I don't remember. But we're about, about. <laughs> we're about ten years apart, or something, aren't we? So yeah, probably. Close. I mean, how old were you in when it like it ended in nineteen ninety? So I'm uh, nine, eight or nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure. I'd re- I remember. Like I remember watching sitcoms when I was nine. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I and I almost remembered the titles. You know, there were always like these little phrases. <laughs> so then. But but I don't remember the details of any of those shows, you know. So I, I would have thought Alf maybe would have been something that you remember better because it was kind of more, let's say, pitched at kids a little more. Because yeah, of the, I was thinking because the of like the, the whole puppets and thing. And I mean, I, I mean, I I I was would have responded to him the same way I responded to the Ewoks and stuff like that. It was the same type of thing, but like it, it wasn't a thing. And I mean, I was I was the same age when I was watching Cheers and Night Court, and those cemented themselves in my brain for decades. True, but uh, I don't know. I yeah. uh, no, I watched Alf probably all the way through. Um, no, not all the way through because by 1990, I'm in. I'm in college, so no, <laughs> no. But I, I do remember watching a couple of seasons at least with the family, you know. So probably in the story, I'm I may be sixteen, seventeen, and and it's on TV, and that's what we're watching as a family. All right, then um, D- Diane, as I was mentioning in the synopsis, she tries to form this alliance with Carla because the thing that they both have in common is they both want to keep Sam safe. They don't want him to get hurt, and. Carla's like, you're crazy if you think he cares at all for this woman. You know, he's just, you know, he's just, you know, using her as much as she's using him, whatever. And she's like, I, I can prove this. And Carla goes to the bar and she goes, hey, a word over here, heartthrob. <laughs> and this is like so very close to being my home run. But she goes, a word over here, heartthrob. And out of nowhere, Cliff just goes, coming at you and gets up from the bar and yeah, starts to walk down there. Yeah. And then I almost wish. We could see better the moment where he, where where, where he's kind of told to go sit back down, because <laughs> yeah. you kind of see him and he's like he's way off on yeah. you know side of the screen. And it's like oh, I <laughs> wish we could see more of his mm. having to go back to his seat yeah. in defeat. So Sam is talking to Carla, and she she tells Sammy that he gets to do to a politician what they've been doing to the public for years. And Sam doesn't find that funny, and that's a point for Diane that Carla doesn't want to acknowledge. Um, and then Janice shows up, and Woody is very excited to see the size of her limousine and the fact that there's a TV in it. He goes running up like a little kid, seeing like a fire engine for the first time. And Norman and Cliff are like, ah, oh, the exuberance of youth, and they don't even try to hide it for, for very long before they start racing each other up there. Uh, so then we get to like the the meat of this one, which is the scene in the office between Diane and Janet. And 
first the acknowledgement that this will not pass the Bechdel test because they're all they're talking about is the one man in their lives. But it's still refreshing to see this long scene, this scene with substance to it that's just between two women. I mean, we've had scenes with Carla and Diane, but when they're the only people in the bar, that, that I mean, maybe not since season one. And it's usually just like a couple of jabs at each other. But like this is this is like the meat of the episode. This is the crux, and it's dramatic and funny, and they're almost equals coming coming into terms. It's just I I, I loved this scene, and I was like, yeah, we never we never see a scene like this in the show with with two women like this. I mean, they they uh, obviously they're talking about a man, so yeah, but. But nevertheless, uh, or or a cat. I mean, it's possible. Or, or a cat. <laughs> Diane, what did she say? She's like, "Let's retract our claws. Let's stop hissing at each other." And Jane's like, "Are you having a problem with your cat?" Well, you know, cat fights, and <laughs> yeah. it's just like women and cats, yeah. men and dogs. Um, that's yeah, I mean, obviously. But the, <laughs> I, I feel like Janet is bringing herself. Like she's very used to bringing herself down to other people's levels. Mm. To relate to them, to empathize with them, you know, it's part of what we've seen her do. The way she runs, she runs the room when she's in it. So that that brings the sort of equality that already maybe Diane has a step up in the sense that that she knows Sam better and for longer. But you know, it's like th- th- there's not a sense that well, I'm this, you know, I'm this councilwoman and you're just a barmaid and. Um, I, I will not be spoken to this way or anything. No, it's, it's very personable and she's used to kind of doing that. And I think that's, that's the attractive quality that that character has, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and when they say, well, okay, I like the moment where at the end of that conversation, okay, well then everybody likes everybody, you know? <laughs> so, uh, nobody's going to get hurt, but you can sense. So yeah, there's one person that's going to get hurt it's, and it's Diane. It's yeah. a beautiful acting job by Shelley Long. Um, because it's all in the face, and it's almost—it's like not like crying, but it's like the, the subtle tweaking she can do with her own facial expressions. She just has this line: she's "Like you like Sam, Sam likes you, and nobody's going to get hurt." And you see her like a crack underneath her eye as she's saying that, and it, it just—it's so revealing and so telling. I'm like, "Damn, that girl was good." Like <laughs> she was just that—just that little moment. And, and if you—if you blink, you miss it. But if you catch it, it's like. Wow, Shelley, that was good. Yeah. Um, I think they're both both their acting is is very strong and revel revelatory. So, um, so yeah, uh, it, it, I, it is the the scene of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the substance, like the things, the information we need to get out of it. For one thing, like when she introduced herself, she's like, you know, I, I'm Diane, and you know, I, I care a lot about Sam and. Janet's like, yeah, I know. She's like, Sam talks about you all the time. It's like, okay, that will be important going forward. Um, the fact that, you know, like, this isn't a complete surprise to Janet when, when Diane comes in here. Um, but she also, she admits that, yeah, the first time I started dating Sam, this was totally a, a political opportunism thing. The, like, I make no secret about that. She's like, but the more I've, like, and, and she's even willing, able to make fun of, of him and his intelligence, too, like with Diane. They can have that sort of camaraderie. But she still boils down. She's like, there's something very special about him. And she likes him, and, and it comes out that way. And it seems genuine enough, but she is a practiced politician, and Diane comes back at her. She's, she walks right back through the door. She's like, I, I see your lie. I see through you. 
She's like, that's that's all you. She's like, you you can pull one over on me for a minute, but as soon as you're done with the campaign, you're gonna drop Sam. And the next time we see, now we're at the the very end, the headquarters of the Fleener campaign on election night, and it's a kind of lonely, miserable place as he's just got shellacked, as they say, the next one, the next episode. And Janet is on the television, so we see her thanking her campaign manager, and then thanking Sam. And she's like, you know, I says she knows she like if women want his you know phone number or something, they're not going to get it. And she gives a big kiss. Yeah, leaves leaving Diane crushed. So that's the that's the end of the first part. What'd you think? Yeah, um, I mean, again, you get a little bit of Frazier there, and you're wondering he's looking for the booze, and it's like. He's also in a miserable place, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this all connects, you know, for him. But the um, but the, the, that's the moment where it almost looks like oh, she pushes Sam away, uh, Janet. That is, she pushes him. Could, could you move Sam so that I can bring in Phil here? Uh, so so you know, Diane's going, "Aha!" You know, he's being, you know, but that's not. She's not breaking up with him. <laughs> Um, and then she also thanks Sam. You know, she also brings Sam up to the podium like he's the first lady. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think it like it ends on a down note, and then well, you're you're ready for the second part. Yeah, again, like they, there are parts of the episode that are kind of like, Meh, okay, where, where was that going? Or some some people didn't really have much to do, but I felt like the main story was strong. Um, in in part just because I think Janet is a strong character right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, played played it's, very well and and written very well, and I think it's a it's a compelling dilemma that we haven't seen. We've seen Diane with a with a like a potentially long term potential husband, and the way it affects Sam. Now we're actually seeing the reverse for the first time. That's true, and it's weird that you say that because you're right. You're completely right that the others don't have so much to do. But at the same time, I felt when I was like looking for the uh, employee of the week, I, I was kind of looking at it like, well, sort of an ensemble casting because they gave, they did give everybody bits and lines. I just don't feel that they, they, they connected to the plot very well or, yeah. Yeah. The, you know, that they were momentous or anything. Woody had a funny little bit that it's kind of like a throwaway when, like, Janet comes in and he's like, you know, he's like, I really like her. You know, the politicians back in, back in Hanover, right. they all have big paunches and they smoke smelly cigars. And Norm's like, you don't have any women on your city council? And he's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's yeah. That was almost my home run. I mean, that <laughs> was my like second place. My second places for home run, I'll tell you what now, it's like it's all like little like one word deliveries mm-hmm. because it, there's like that bit where he, the way he says, yeah. Uh, and then uh, earlier, the Brian character was like the date that um, Sam brings in when they're talking about the um, uh, the gas mileage that the cars get. And he, <laughs> he's forced to admit that his car gets less less miles <laughs> yeah. to a gallon. Uh, immediately goes sorry. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, like, real bad. He, he has the presence of mind to realize that he's like, I don't know what is happening, but I have to. I'm suppo- I know what I'm supposed to be doing, and it's yeah. it's a weird bit of like self awareness. Yeah, yeah. So um, those were almost my home runs. Yeah, uh, but I, they're very very small moments. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's, let's get into the superlatives. Uh, first of all, Norm's tab. Uh, I, I clock him, he only had two beers this episode, uh, which brings him up to three hundred and seventy for the series up to this point. Um, for the employee of the week, 
I came so close to giving it to Diane just for that moment uh, that we we talked about when she says, uh, you know, you like Sam, Sam likes you, and nobody's going to get hurt, and that, that facial impression. Um, but I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to give it to Janet for just being the guest star, and I think I think Kate Mulgrew knocks it out of the park in this one in a few couple scenes. She goes from funny to serious, and I just thought she was, she was a scene stealer, and, and that's... That, that that can be a difficult thing to do on the show, but I, I thought she was great. I have the same notes, uh, so basically I'm giving it to Janet, but I th- I thought maybe, oh, well, we could say it's Diane if we're going to go with actual Cheers cast members, yeah. um, but I'm giving Diane the home run, so okay. uh, I'm, I'm okay with giving it to, to Janet. All right, what was your home run then? It, well, it's not a funny bit. <laughs> It doesn't have to be. No, I've, I. It can always be a dramatic moment. I love that too. It is a. It is a dramatic moment, and it, it's. It's the very. It's the last line. Mm-hmm. I. I love that moment where. Um, where Max. Right. Uh, where Max. Right. I mean, the, the character's called. Um, Fleener. Which was scared. Fleen. Jim Fleener. When Jim Fleener says, "This was my last chance," you know about the election. This was my last chance, and I blew it. And Diane realizes that she blew it too. Yeah. You know, obviously she's talking about something else, something that's been brewing since that airplane ride uh, yeah. out of hell. So um, that that moment, the way that they close the uh, the episode on that down note, that's my home run. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one. I love the moment. Um, I did go with a joke, one that uh, that, that caught me by surprise when I was rewatching this for however many of times uh, that like got me to laugh out loud. Um, it's when it's when the, during the press conference when Janet's taking questions and Diane comes up and she's like, "I have a question for you," and Janet goes, "Do you work here?" And Carla pops up behind her and goes, "How come no one ever knows that?" <laughs> I just, I was like, yeah, <laughs> I still I was like, "Oh my god, Carla, that is such a good line." Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, and then my my runner up one was just Cliff going coming at you, <laughs> just a per- perfect delivery. Yeah, so um, yeah, okay. Well, Cisco, I, I mentioned a number of the shows, but uh, you can remind folks and tell them where else you can be found in the podcasto and blogosphere. Uh, yeah, well. I'll- uh, Alfcast coming soon at uh, Fire and Water. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, honestly, uh, if you look for Ciscoid in in your Google, uh, you will find all my projects, which are many, but uh, mostly Ciscoid's blog of geekery where I still write. And I'm sorry about the look of the site these days. Uh, Blogspot blogger changed some coding and it screwed up the thumbnails. I'm not the only one with this problem. Just makes the the site look a mess. Um, I'm real worried about it. You can tell. <laughs> at the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I do all those shows, whether it's the Ohatmu or not, which is also doing a, a who's who version um, for you know for a short while here for, as a mini series. Uh, Give me that Star Trek is coming back in 2022. Uh, FW Team Up is coming back in 2022. I'm gonna wrap up Zero Hour Strikes in 2022. So um, you know, there's lots of stuff every Tuesday. That's my show. Right. And then I presume something relating to Orange is the New Black is in the, in the works, too. So Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you once again for being on the show. And thanks to all of you out there who listen to Cheerscast and support the show by liking and sharing on Facebook, favoriting and retweeting on Twitter, and leaving a comment on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. 
You can also support the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Patreon. Special thanks to Ashford Wright from the Right On Podcast Network and Rick from Jeff and Rick Presents and Monday Movie Muckabout, who sponsor this show. For more information on how you can support your favorite shows on the Fire and Water Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and until next time, we're closed. Uh, Clifford C. Clavin, U.S. Postal Service, South Central Branch. In view of the uh, carnage taking place in our postal routes, are you in favor of beefing up our leash laws to include life imprisonment for the canine offenders? I think that's a bit drastic. But I am in favor of doing all we can to support our overworked and underpaid postal carriers. You do a wonderful job. That woman has got my support, and I will deliver you the postal vote. Too bad it'll be to the wrong address. (laughs)